What's up, guys? Thanks for joining me for the first episode of The Athlete Angle. I am welcoming on a very special guest. Her name is Katie Spada. She is the owner of Spada Strong Nutrition, which is a nutrition coaching business that teaches former athletes how to fuel for life after sports. And she is a well-decorated former synchronized swimmer. I had the privilege to talk to Katie about her time as a collegiate athlete and the impact that that had on her career as a dietitian. We also discuss the narrative of body image in sports, why we struggle with body changes post-sport, and how do we separate our worth from the way our body looks. We switched gears and discussed how to make guilt-free food choices that both support our nutritional needs and still allow us to enjoy food, like the chocolate-covered bananas in my freezer right now. Lastly, Katie shared some simple yet powerful advice that helped her transition into life after sports. Get your swimmies, because we're diving in. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Athlete Angle. I'm your host, MC Bell. Do you feel like you're walking aimlessly through life after sports? Do you feel lost without your sport and unsure of how to find confidence in your purpose? It's like the second you hung up your cleats or walked off that field, you've been drifting ever since. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone, my friend. You are one of thousands of student and professional athletes that struggle with transitioning into life after sports. Join me this week as we work to unravel the confusing journey of life post sports, gain clarity in your purpose, and find confidence in your identity so you can flourish in life after sports. Let's dive in. I just want to start out with how did you get to where you are? You're a registered dietitian. You're also the founder and CEO of Spada Strong Nutrition. How did you get here? Let's rewind a little bit. Oh, okay. It is a it is a fun story. Um, but first, just thank you so much for having me, MC. I'm really excited to be here um, and to connect with all of your listeners. Um, so yes, as you mentioned, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I am the CEO and founder of Spot of Strong Nutrition. And my athletic career really is what drove me to be where I am right now. Um, I was an artistic swimmer or synchronized swimming, as most people probably know it by, for most of my adolescent career competing um, on the world stage all the way up until college where I competed at Ohio State. And during my time in synchronized swimming, there was a huge emphasis on body image and appearance, essentially how you looked. Um, And so I was constantly trying to manipulate my nutrition, manipulate my food intake and manipulate my body to meet this standard. Um, essentially all of that struggle drove me to be interested in nutrition. I studied it in college. And once I retired, I realized that there really are not a ton of resources for former athletes to learn how to eat, like I'll air quote, normal people when we retire. Um, and that essentially landed me to create my business and be here. That's amazing. And a fellow recipient of your coaching business. It works. Let me tell you, it works. <laughs> oh, thank you, MC. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the the body image and nutrition. Why is body image so important when it comes to being an athlete? Why is that so wrapped up in our identity? Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of facets to this, but regardless of whether your sport had a focus on appearance or not, I would argue that most sports do have some sentiment of, again, air quotes, looking like an athlete. 
um, there is this narrative that you have to have a certain body type or a certain appearance to be an athlete. And even if we get sports specific, there are body types that are um, assumed to be within a certain sport. Like, oh, you look like a swimmer. You look like a football player. You look like a soccer player. And there has created this narrative that if you don't fit that body type, well, then maybe you can't be an athlete. Um, the second piece to that is take the appearance part away from it. Our body is what allows us to perform. It's what allows us to compete. And so at every level, there is a connection to our achievement and our accomplishment and our body. Um, and so I think that it's really hard to start to separate yourself from your body image, especially as an athlete. Um, and so then when we retire and we start to experience normal body changes, it can be really overwhelming. Definitely. I have for sure experienced those body changes and it is uncomfortable. How do we separate our identity from what we think about our body and the performance when we start to change after we're done with our sport? I think the first thing that can be really helpful is starting to focus more on the function than the appearance. So get very basic. How does your body function? Can you walk? Can you use your arms to hug people? Can you see, you know, start to identify the ways that your body allows you to function and move about the world. That is going to be one of the foundational pieces to starting to separate your body image from your identity and your worth. The second piece is to recognize that no matter how your body changes, it's not going to take away what you accomplished as an athlete. And I think sometimes there's this, again, this narrative that, oh, you let yourself go when you retire, if you have body changes, and it almost feels like it wipes away all of your accomplishments and you're not credible as an athlete anymore. Um, but no matter how your body changes, it doesn't take away from the accomplishments that you had talking about accomplishments, which is the, the third piece I'll, I'll briefly touch on. We could go into a whole, a whole bit here. Um, we is, can go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's, it's really recognizing that achievement um, based success, if you will, like we are, we are basing our worth and our success on measures of achievement or accomplishment. So when you're an athlete, you're constantly trying to get the next goal, the next win, the next title, the next whatever it is. And our identity is really attached to our ability to achieve. When we separate ourselves from the ability to achieve, oftentimes we need to focus on something else. So we focus on trying to achieve the perfect body. Um, and so that's where we really want to start to think about, well, how can I define success outside of achievement? Can there be other markers of success? Um, and then, you know, if my, if my body was not a factor, what about me am I proud of? And so can we start to identify those other things? And this is not, I'll just do a little caveat before pausing on this subject, but this is not an overnight change. This is, this is a long time of reconditioning your thinking, because again, these narratives are so strong and they're not, they're not going away. Um, so we're constantly presented with this idea that our body is our worth. It's attached to our achievement and our success. And if it changes, we've let ourselves go. And that really wipes away our credibility and our achievements. Hmm. Wow. That just got deep. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I think you had a sore spot. Oh. <laughs> I need a break. 
I know. Time is kind of like our our friend in these circumstances. How long do you think? I mean, I guess it's it's different for everybody, but how long did it take for you to feel like you had uh, rewired your thinking when it comes to performance and attaching that to your uh, your body? Oh, such a good question. And I always say it, it's still, it's still a daily practice, right? Um, Cause again, those triggers are all around us, but I would say it took me a, a minimum of 18, probably 24 months when I started to intentionally try and rewire and reframe and, and change the narrative that was playing in my head to actually find a place where I was comfortable with my body. I was okay with the changes and I felt like I could trust my body. It was, it was at least a year and a half to two years until I, I had reached that very comfortable, confident place. Mm. I, yeah. yeah, definitely can relate. I honestly was reflecting on this earlier and thinking back after, you know, I've been taking notes and doing some research and just going back through some of my old notes that I took when I was in your, um, when we were doing our coaching in 2020 and yes. a lot of that stuff came back up. Have I grown from it? Like, have I moved on? Have I changed my thinking to look at myself in a, in a healthier way? I think so, but it's, yeah. it's definitely like, there's this sense of freedom that you get from a healthier, uh, perspective on, you know, how you view yourself and a heightened sense of confidence. But I know a lot of that didn't just come from the mental work of, uh, how I view myself and how I view my body and the workouts that I do and why I work out now, a lot of it came from understanding even just on a basic level nutrition. Oh my gosh. It is so important. And I always say that the relationship with food and body image are just completely intertwined because how you feel about yourself really determines how you fuel yourself and then vice versa, how you fuel yourself can impact how you feel about yourself. Um, and so it's this, uh, kind of intertwined and, and double connected relationship. And an example that I always use is, you know, to kind of highlight this, if you take a picture of yourself and you don't like what you see and say you're out to dinner with, with some friends, um, you don't like what you see. Chances are you probably change your dinner order. Maybe you were going to have the burger. You were like, yes, sounds so good. And then you're like, mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I should have the salad instead. And so how you're viewing yourself and how you feel about yourself impacts your food choices vice versa, if you eat something that maybe doesn't make you feel good physically, or you still have the attachment of good and bad foods, it can start to make you feel poor, poorly about yourself. Um, and so we want to have a relationship where we can view ourselves as, you know, independent from food choices, but we can also make food choices in a way that supports and allows us to feel empowered in our bodies. Um, an example I'll give here is, you know, oftentimes people will use the scale to judge whether or not they're having a good day or a bad day. Um, and I always say the way you know that you have reached this place of peace and freedom with your body is when you step on the scale and if it goes up, you have no feelings about it. And if it goes down, you have no feelings about it. That's the neutrality um, that can come freedom that can be the freedom associated with doing this body image work. Um, and then the result is often the ability to make food choices, not from a place of needing to manipulate how your body looks, mm -hmm. but truly knowing what is going to fuel and nourish your body from a health promotion standpoint. Man, that is good stuff. I can remember <laughs> 
back to my reflection, but I can remember <laughs> when I first started working with you, how uh, almost like restrictive my thinking was around food. And I didn't happen until after I had finished playing my sport and I had recognized that my body was changing to now where I have a much better understanding of my body. And I have, I've built up that intuitive muscle to understand what my body needs and when it needs it and why it needs it. What is that relationship? Like, what is, you know, how do you take the restrictive mindset and how do you bring, you know, I almost feel like the information side of, you know, the coaching program that we did together and giving the basic knowledge of how do I fuel myself just for the human body made a huge difference in how I viewed why I was eating what I was eating. Cause I had no real substantive evidence to back up why I was thinking the way I was thinking. It was things that I had picked up along the way that weren't serving me either at all or anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. And I, I think, you know, when you brought up like just knowing the basics of nutrition and how that was, that really allowed you to kind of break free from some of that restriction you know, oftentimes when, when we end up in a restrictive mindset, it's coming from a place of trying to do good. It's not intentionally coming from a place of trying to harm yourself. You're intent, you are trying to make healthier choices, but we don't know what we don't know. And I think that's the biggest piece is there's a lot of misinformation specifically with nutrition that comes from people who seem credible from doctors and nurses and people in the medical field. And even, you know, nutritionists on the internet, there, there is a lot of information floating out around there that can make us feel like, oh, I need to make this choice or I need to make that choice. And so when we peel back all of the noise and we start from ground zero, how does your body function cellularly? How does human metabolism work just in a more human metabolism is very complex, but from a simplistic standpoint, and can we start there by making food choices, you know, I always say like carbs, fat, protein at your meal. Like, can we optimize in more of a simplistic way? We start to break free from some of that restriction because we realize the messages and the ideas that we've been holding on to may not actually be rooted in science. And so that was something that was really freeing for me. One of the things that helped me walk through my own restriction was having a deeper understanding of human physiology and metabolism. So I could know, okay, no, bread is not what's causing weight gain. That's not how human metabolism works. I don't need to be fearful of the sugar in a pumpkin spice latte. I always say that the more empowered you are with nutrition knowledge, the easier it is to make food choices. Having that baseline understanding of nutrition is, in my opinion, one of the cornerstones of healing your relationship with food. I can definitely say I benefited from that. And I 100% agree. It's how I make all of my food choices now. I go to the grocery <laughs> store and look at the recipes that I make 110%. Knowing this knowledge now, what was maybe wrong or different or misinformation that you received in college from maybe like a strength coach or one of your coaches or I don't know if you had like a nutritionist, like a team nutritionist that planned your meals and whatnot. What was the difference? Yeah. So I did have, we did have a team dietitian and she was incredible. Unfortunately, at the time I wasn't ready or open to hearing what she had to say. Um, and her messaging was very much in conflict with what my coaches were telling me. So my coaches were saying like, 
cut out carbs, eat less, watch what you're eating, no sugar, that sort of a message. And this team dietitian was saying like, add carbs to your snacks, have carbs with all of your meals. And so as an athlete, I became very confused. And of course I defaulted to listening to what my coaches said, because they were making the decision of whether or not I swam they wanted to do, wanted to do right by coach. Um, and so I did cut out carbs and unfortunately that resulted in creating a lot of a restrict binge cycle. Um, it also created a, a, a decrease in my resting energy expenditure. I, I had what you would call maybe like a metabolic injury um, because I was under fueling. And so then I was living in a state of chronic stress and fatigue, which put a lot of strain on hormone function, on energy, on adrenals. There's just a whole cascade that happens when we do underfuel specifically with carbs as an athlete. Um, so I wish I would have known back then that the sports dietitian was doing everything she could to actually educate us. Um, but the narratives of diet culture in my sport won in that instance. How do we set boundaries with the narrative of diet culture in sports? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the challenging piece is not all schools or teams have access to a sports dietitian, but the the most important piece, in my opinion, is for coaches and individuals who are not professionally trained in nutrition to stop giving nutrition advice and to allow, bring in dietitians and certified sports dietitians and people who are credentialed to give advice to your athletes. And most of the time I say this from a place of understanding that it's usually coming from wanting to help your athletes and coming from a good place. But unfortunately, there's so much that goes into understanding human physiology and metabolism, specifically in the sports setting, that they're often either missing pieces of information or just not able to provide the personalized and individualized nutrition information that is needed specifically for female athletes, because we are complex. Um, yeah, we are. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the biggest thing is we need uncredentialed individuals to stop giving nutrition advice because they may be in a place of authority where athletes are, are taking what they say as, you know, as the gospel, if you will, whereas credentialed individuals are, there's not enough of us and we don't have our voices in the right places. It's a bigger problem, I think, than than people realize until they're out and they're wondering why the things that they have followed for the last four or five years of their, or if they become a professional athlete, I don't know what the changes are after at the professional level, but even specifically college. I mean, I can't imagine what it would look like for athletes to have the proper nutrition, you know, plan right before them and how much better their performance would be and how much better of a human they would be, you know? Yes. And that is something that, you know, as sports dietitians, like we'll talk about, we help, we don't just tell you what to eat or give you, you know, a nutrition talk on carbs. We can help reduce the risk of injury, help increase the healing of injuries, improve, you know, performance, decrease fatigue, improve recovery. There are so many metrics that we can assist with. Um, And from a professional level, it's really exciting to see teams in the NBA and the MLB and the NFL having sports dietitians dedicated to properly fueling their athletes. So that way we, we are advocating for our athletes from a proper nutrition standpoint, but then also setting them up for success for life when they retire. Ooh. Okay. I wanted to talk to you about the burn to earn mentality. Can you break this down for me? 
Yes. Oh my goodness. So the burn to earn mentality put simply is thinking you need to burn calories in order to earn food. An example would be, well, I need to go to the gym before we go out to dinner tonight because I'm going to have pizza and I need to make sure that I burn enough calories in order for my pizza to fit or in order to burn off the calories that I consume. This mentality is so strong in sports, whether or not you had a disordered relationship with food during sport or it developed after, or you're not sure what your relationship with food looks like. There's a chance you have thought, said, or been surrounded by the message of, well, you don't have to worry about it because you work out enough or you burn enough in your training or, you know, you're training for four hours so you can eat whatever you want. That really sends the message that I can only eat whatever I want if I am training or exercising at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it creates this feeling of, well, when I retire from sport or when I get injured or when I can't work out at that same level anymore, I can no longer eat whatever I want. And then we create this body distrust of, well, if I'm not working out, maybe I should eat less. And so there was actually a study that looked at qualitatively retired athletes, um, specifically swimmers in this study. And it found that on days that these retired swimmers didn't work out, they were more inclined to skip meals or eat smaller meals to try and compensate Mm -hmm. for the lack of exercise. And what that does is it really sends you down a rabbit hole of potential restrict binge or increasing the risk of injury the next time you do do a workout because you're not appropriately recovered. Um, But that message of, well, you're an athlete, you can eat whatever you want, really drives this idea that when we retire and we're no longer an athlete, we can no longer eat whatever we want. And so I'm a, I'm a big advocate for changing that. We always have the freedom to eat whatever we want. It's how we approach food and why we're choosing to eat that food that matters most. How would that affect your, uh, your body long-term? Good question. When your body doesn't get consistent, adequate energy intake, um, what happens is it does have distrust. So you, your resting energy expenditure, I've mentioned that before, which is how much energy your body needs to burn. If you were to just lay in bed all day, it starts to compensate by decreasing. And so essentially your body is like shedding extra. It's like saying, Nope, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do this and shutting down functions that aren't necessary, which in female athletes or retired female athletes, often looks like losing their cycle or having an inconsistent cycle. Um, It could be losing hair. If you notice that you're losing a lot of hair or you're cold all the time, sometimes these things can manifest in different ways, but most often this is how it shows up. So now we have reduced resting energy expenditure, which means you now have to eat less to maintain the current body you're in. And it's very, very difficult for people to start to maintain the drop, drop, drop that happens when we cut, cut, cut. And so that's usually when they end up in weight cycling, which is lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. And binging often becomes um, more of a problem as well because your body is trying to force you to recover the calories it's not getting. A study was actually done by the American Heart Association that found individuals who weight cycled we're at a higher risk for cardio, uh, cardiometabolic diseases like heart disease, um, stroke, heart attacks than those who maintained a consistent weight regardless of BMI. 
So regardless of what the weight was, if you maintained a consistent weight versus weight cycling, you were at lower risk of developing these cardiovascular um, diseases. So essentially long-winded, went a little nerdy on you there. Love it. Um, Give me all the nerds. <laughs> I always say it's N-E capital R-D um, for a nerd. But... I'm going to put um, that in the show notes. <laughs> yes, that should, that should be on a shirt. Um, <laughs> I'll make it for you. Christmas present. Love it. I love it. <laughs> but essentially when we do start to intentionally restrict our energy intake, when we're not working out, we put ourselves at risk for chronic disease, for reduction in metabolic um, energy expenditure, and a whole slew of um, potential metabolic injuries as well. And so that's why I really just don't like the burn to earn mentality. Sometimes you're more hungry on a rest day. That's okay. That means your body needs energy to recover. It's okay to honor that. Speaking of honoring, can you transition into talking about honoring your hunger in fullness cues? I know you're really big on this and I want to, I want all the deets. I am. I'm so big on this, especially for the former athlete community, because so often being an athlete, we actually come really out of touch with our hunger fullness cues, depending on what sport you came from and, and the culture and the sport. If you came from an aesthetic sport like myself, maybe you were used to ignoring hunger to try and eat less to fit a certain body type. Or if you came from more of a, a power sport where they wanted you to bulk up and gain muscle, you were used to eating past fullness um, in order to put on weight. Whichever standpoint you came from, chances are there was a disruption in your ability to understand and listen to your body's hunger and fullness cues. Uh, and so something that I do with all of my clients is help them get back in tune with those intuitive signals that say, I'm hungry, I'm full. And not only get back in tune with them, know how to actually honor them. Because sometimes we recognize them. We're like, I know I'm hungry, but I don't want to eat. Or I know I'm full, but I want to keep eating. Um, and honoring them can be the most challenging piece. Something that's really helpful there is knowing that you have unconditional permission to eat foods at any time. So you can honor your fullness without feeling like FOMO, I need to get it all now. Or you, with the hunger, you know, you know that like, it's okay for you to eat at any time without needing to, to stress about it. So those are kind of the biggest pieces. And I'm really big into addressing the subtle cues because usually as athletes, we're looking for the big loud cues, but subtle cues can be really important, especially in the beginning stages of getting back in touch with hunger fullness. I could talk to you probably for another hour about hunger and fullness cues. It <laughs> again, changed my life. We talked all about the education behind how to fuel your body after your sport, the changing your mindset when it comes to body image. Where should a former athlete, they're just done with their sport, where do they start? Because this is, can be really overwhelming. You see body changes happening. You don't really have the education yet. Where is a great starting spot for them? Yeah, such a good question. I mean, of course, if you're able to work with a dietitian, that's going to be so helpful in the process. But if not, my main advice here would be to get curious over critical. When I say that, what I mean is, you know, if you start to notice these thoughts coming in your head or these body changes that are frustrating you, can you cultivate a mindset of curiosity around it? Hmm, I wonder why I ate four Oreos today. Or I wonder why I'm so frustrated by 
you know, looking in the mirror. I wonder why and get curious instead of critical because so often we are trained as athletes to find the problem and fix it. Mm. And so we, we have this mentality of criticism, like this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But oftentimes the thoughts that we're having, they're signals, they're cues, our body is alerting us to something. And if we can get curious about it, we can learn more and then we can make changes that actually feel good and are sustainable instead of making changes out of fear or irrationally jumping to something drastic. So I really would say get curious instead of critical when you first retire. Mm, That is so good. I think the curiosity part allows yourself to have grace for yourself and uh, helps you enter into like the learning process rather than putting yourself in like that performance mindset where you feel like you have to check the boxes and get things correct and perfect and online with, you know, everything that you think your expectations should be of yourself. So that is such good stuff. Thank you. Yes, I agree. And I think I definitely fell into the performance, check the box perfectionist and it keeps you stuck and um, it's not fun. So curiosity, I apply that to everything in my life now. Where can people find you? What do you have going on for the holidays? Yes. So people can find me at fueling.former.athletes on Instagram and TikTok. Um, my website is spotastrongnutrition.com. Um, you can find me there as well. Uh, but essentially, if you are looking for more support, I have a couple of ways that I'd love to, to chat with you and work with you. Um, the first would be the Fueled Former Athlete Academy, which is my comprehensive program to really help you transition your nutrition in life after sport. So you can feel confident and free and empowered with food choices and body image. Um, And then I am running a holiday nutrition game plan special. So if you are interested in one-to-one coaching, but not ready to commit to a full three to four month package, um, this is just a one-to-one call where we can help you come up with a game plan before we head into the holidays. So again, you can feel comfortable and empowered and not feel like the cookie table is going to take over um, as soon as you walk in the room. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, MC. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for giving episode one of The Athlete Angle a listen. If this episode resonated with you, please leave a review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Oh, one more thing. Stay in the know on Insta. Tag a former athlete, teammate, friend, foe, family member. You get the point. I would love to connect with you. Okay, friends, that is all she wrote. I'll see you next week.